You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Colorado Rockies podcast for and by Rockies fans on Rocky Mountain Rooftop. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. everybody and welcome to another edition of affected by altitude a Colorado rockies podcast part of the rocky mountain rooftop network a proud member of the fans first sports network i'm your host skylar timmons and joined here as always wearing his sky socks hat is my partner in crime evan lang live from the beautiful mountain state of colorado in these great united states of ours it's time for the affected by altitude program brought to you by ovaltine Rich, chocolatey Ovaltine. Make sure you get some to go with your rations. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> we're off to an incredible start is what we're doing, Skyler. This is oh, quality programming. This is why the people tune in. You know, oh, that's what you see. We had the Sean Connery voice last week. Which we has... do something. Which has ruined me because I was I was driving home from work last night and like just listening to music in the car, like singing along with the lyrics, but doing the Sean Connery voice. <laughs> My fear is that I'll walk around the house. <laughs> I'll just start doing Scottish accents and sometimes bringing in the Sean Connery. My name is Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez. Chief Metallurgist of His Majesty King Charles V of Spain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, and we're not here to talk about Sean Connery and our awful impressions. We're here to talk about our first report, which is everything is awful. Yeah, we'll get that, to that in a second. That's about right. Um, we we sort of run run this gamut with the Rockies. Like it, it's pretty much a checklist of. Everything is okay and kind of normal for a week or two. And then we go down to, oh, wait, maybe everything's not okay. And then we go down to everything is actively on fire right now. And uh, we're at that third stage right now. Yeah. So we're going to run the gamut of emotions here in this episode. Uh, We're going to talk about all kinds of injuries to the roster and some new faces. And then all-star recap. And then second part of the show we'll talk about the draft do some recapping there and then the back half of the show we've got a couple of mailbag questions uh just a few of them that we can talk about should be fun uh but might as well just hop right into it uh tons of injuries once again to the rockies an already unstable decimated roster especially pitching wise in that rotation gets even more decimated as finally it comes out Antonio Senzatella is going to need Tommy John surgery. Said he threw a bullpen the other day. It did not go well. So he is down pretty much out until 2025 now at this point. So that's basically two pitchers down for the 2024 season. And we're not even through 2023 yet. So tough break there with Antonio Senzatella. We've also got Kyle Freeland dislocated his shoulder in that last game before the All-Star break, partially torn labrum. Says it doesn't need surgery, so that's the good news, but who knows when he can come back. 
and that's going to be a while here. And also, there were some minor league injuries that we can touch on. But let's start with our two big league guys, Senzi and Freeland. Tough break for the Rockies, Evan. So starting with Kyle, um, it was during that last series of the of the first half out in San Francisco where, you know, Kyle is a, is such a strong defender off the mound. He's going for a ball and he ends up falling and putting all the weight on that shoulder. And what happens is he subluxes uh, that shoulder. It's his right shoulder. It's his non-pitching shoulder, which is good news on that front. It wasn't his his pitching shoulder, but he subluxes that, which means it um, it partially dislocates and then goes back in. Um, as he as he explained it, it went back in as he rolled back over onto his back. Um, and, and the partially torn labrum does not necessarily need surgery. However, you never know if they will, because we have to look at Antonio Sensatela, who we'll get to in a minute, or even Herman, who we were both told initially that they might not need surgery. And here we are with that. But what really stings about Kyle going down is not only him being the, the real leader of, of this team, this pitching staff this year, but also the fact that he was one of the last men standing from the opening day rotation. Basically the only guy from our opening day rotation that is still here is Austin Gomber, uh, who admittedly has put together a couple of really, really quality starts uh, over his last few times out. But our opening day rotation, you had uh, Herman Marquez out for the season with Tommy John, Kyle Freeland now on the 15 day IL with that subluxation, Ryan Feltner likely out for the season with a skull fracture, uh, Jose Urania designated for assignment before April even ended. And then Austin Gomber and, Really, you know, Kyle and and in some parts Austin were the only ones who were providing a lot of consistency out of the bullpen or not the bullpen, the rotation, excuse me, who were potentially keeping our already overtaxed bullpen from getting even more overtaxed because you've had, you know, Chase Anderson, who's really, really fallen back to earth. Um, Connor Siebold, who who definitely struggled um, at the tail end of that um, at that first half. It's just it's so brutal to lose Kyle. Like the, the, the hits keep coming for this rotation. And then right after Kyle goes down, we find out that Antonio Sensatela he threw that, uh, that bullpen session in San Francisco and it just did not go well. And now he's down with Tommy John too. And, you know, I can at the very least say for, for Sensi, at least his, his contract and his future with the organization is not as much in question as Erman. But now you've got a guy who missed the end of the 2022 season with his ACL tear, missed the start of the 2023 season, rehabbing that, came back, and then threw, what, two games tops? Uh And then is immediately back on the long-term IL. And we were holding out hope that Sensatela was going to get to come back this season. And now we're it's pretty definite that we're probably not even going to see him next year same with Herman. so now we've got two gaping holes in an already incredibly thin pitching staff for next year let alone the rest of this season yeah so and then we'll, we'll get into it later but there's also some terrible things that have happened down in in the uh in the uh organization in the pitching depth department even uh where you know gabriel hughes ends up on the injured list 
potentially with you know, some elbow UCL troubles. So it hasn't been a good year for the Rockies for for pitching arms and just yeah. arms in general this year for the Rockies. Shoulders r- dislocating and tearing, biceps rupturing, you know, <laughs> all the elbow injuries. Yeah, hasn't been a good year. And with the with the murmurings of for Gabriel Hughes, who has ascended through the the ranks of the minor league system very quickly this year, and is already up in in Double A Hartford, where it was it was potentially looking like if his trajectory continued, he could potentially be in the rotation next year. Mm-hmm. And now that could be in question because the murmuring is that he's got a partially torn UCL. And then we'll talk more about Ryan Rollison later, but just another derailment for him. And then on the non-pitching side of things, um, just to touch on this briefly, you know, um, in last night's game, the um, the second half opener against the Yankees, Randall Grichik was was pulled from the game with sort of uh, not a lot of explanation. And we thought we were, you know, on on hug watch there where it's like nobody's saying anything. We don't know what's up. Did Randall Grichik just get traded? And only for it to come out at the end of the game in Bud Black's press conference that he had um, felt tightness or had a partial pull in his his groin and had been pulled for precautionary reasons and might miss a game or two. And that's not great because we really need Grichik playing in order to keep that trade value going because he's one of the guys you definitely want to trade. But just... Man, the injuries this season have been have been so bad, and there's been some good news. Like um, both Sean Bouchard and um, Brendan Rodgers are both considered ahead of schedule on their recoveries from their respective injuries. Tyler Kinley is potentially on the way back. He's going to be rehabbing uh, with High A Spokane very soon, so it's not all bad news. But there is a lot of bad news, unfortunately. Uh-huh. It's like those little pieces of good news are little drops in the bucket that make no headway on the larger <laughs> problem at hand, which is unfortunate, which is you no know, pitching depth in general. And well, this was a move that we all kind of expected. The Rockies signed right-handed right-hand pitcher, Chris Flexen on a minor league deal who started the season with the Seattle Mariners struggled, got traded over to the Mets who took on his contract and immediately DFA'd him and released him. And the Rockies pick him up, stick him down in Albuquerque to probably get a few reps in until they need that next starter, which should be soon uh, when the Rockies are ready for that in their rotation schedule and everything. But Evan, I know Chris Flexen was kind of a move that you were expecting and and a little bit more positive on. So the big thing with Flexen, and I'll, I'll preface it with this, Basically, any pitcher that gets let go and the Rockies can get for cheap, they should be trying to get. It was the same with Toki Toussaint uh, a couple weeks ago, and now it's the same with Chris Flexen, where there is any potential upside and they can be be gotten for for a small amount. The Rockies, with how thin this rotation is, with how thin this pitching staff is, they need to jump on that. And when um, when Chris Flexen was traded to the Mets and then designated for assignment, that was immediately like, that's a guy that we need to jump on because Flexen does have some upside. Now, granted, this year, he's been bad. I, I can't get around that. In 
17 appearances, only four starts this year, which he normally has been a starter throughout most of his career. He's been relegated to bullpen duty and not been particularly good at that. 42 total innings pitched for a 7.71 ERA. And his FIP is better, but not that much better. It's like 6.66. But if you look back at the last two years he's had with Seattle, there are some positives in there. Uh, 2022, mostly as a starting pitcher with the Mariners, he had a 3.73 ERA and a 4.49 FIP. And then 2021, in uh, 31 starts, he started every game with the Mariners. He had a 3.61 ERA and a 3.89 FIP, which was a lot more in line with each other. This is a guy who has decent stuff, and we just need to see if we can have him put it back together at least a little bit and try and get him starting for probably the rest of this season because what's going to happen is um, later this coming week, um, I believe we're going to have a bullpen day. I think it's expected to be Tuesday, but it has been said that we're going to have a bullpen day this time through the rotation. Um, the goal having let's get flex in a start down in Albuquerque probably. And then if we can get him up here and at least see how it goes and go from there. And, and it really is, especially for the rest of the season, anybody that gets let go, the Rockies need to take a flyer on. There is no such thing as a bad minor league contract. There is no such thing as right now, at least for this pitching staff, it being bad to have a guy playing on vet minimum just to eat up some innings. Yeah. It's, I don't think it, at this point, it doesn't matter. Your season's lost. It, you're rocketing towards 100 losses. Nobody really cares who's on the mound anymore. We want to see the young guys play that we can but on the pitching end of things just stitch it together throw somebody out there for <laughs> for the bull, for the bullpen there there's some guys but for that rotation yeah. outside there's of carl no kaufman one. and maybe jeff chriswell there is nobody right now there are no reinforcements coming mm-hmm. unless it, we pull a guy up straight from double a yeah and the and the guys that know those options that we have and like Add in Peter Lambert, Noah Davis, not inspiring you know, results to be had from them at this point, unfortunately. And so got to scramble veteran like Chris Flexen. Hey, he, he fits the mold of the Rockies type of pitcher. Hopefully they can maybe make a tweak and get him back on track. Kind of like Denelson Lamette did in 2022. If you can get him for the rest of that season, just don't re-sign him if he does do well. Yeah, don't fall let him, for trap let him go. Let him go. It's the same with Arania. Let him go through the season and hold things together at least a little bit. And if he has a good season, hey man, it was it was great having you. I, I wish you luck elsewhere. What the Rockies really need to do, the most important thing out of this that this is showing, is that a large part of what we need during this trade deadline is double A AA and triple A starting pitchers. Mm-hmm. We need, not not should, not want, need to fill out that higher level minor league starting pitching depth. And uh-huh. that is why this trade deadline is so important. That's why you want to trade guys like Randall Gritchick and CJ Crone. Not that you're going to necessarily get a top, you know, top five organizational prospect or or a top 100 MLB prospect, but to get somebody of value to fill out that depth. Uh-huh. A Connor Seabolt type, if you will, 
I'm like, yeah, it might not be great, but he's somebody that could eat some innings and throw out some good starts here. And yeah, there. and, and Seabold's had some good starts, and and it gets overshadowed by you know some All of his struggles. Ones. <laughs> it gets overshadowed by some of his struggles this year, but he does have some quality stuff. He used to be a top prospect, mm-hmm. but so, it's it's rough. It's options, but Chris Flexen, hopefully, no, you you always root for the guy for a guy, and hopefully you can figure it out, work some things out and, and get back to that form that he had with Seattle. And also when he played uh, overseas, that really led to his emergence when Seattle signed him uh, prior to the 2021 season. So hopefully it works out. The bullpen maybe just doesn't agree with him and he can figure some things out, get softer contact and stop getting hit so hard. Uh, and what better place to do that than the hitter friendly <laughs> Albuquerque isotopes. Yeah. And it's, you look at you look at his last two seasons with Seattle, and you look at how he did in twenty twenty seven with the um, with the Doosan Bears out in the KBO, and you just hope that we can get even even a little bit of that mm-hmm. is enough in terms of a guy who can go out there and have an okay start and eat some innings yeah. because nobody's the Rockies are not competing this year is done, and what's really important. It's like it's not the oh we we should be avoiding a hundred losses thing even though you know all we have to do is win twenty eight games in the second half to avoid a hundred losses that is such a low bar it's possible but even if we do what does it really matter mm-hmm. and that is something to think on as we move on to our quick next topic uh, before we head into a break here Evan. Uh, did anything special happen in the All-Star game concerning the Rockies? Concerning the Rockies, gee, I don't know. Uh, only that Elias Diaz was the All-Star game MVP and led the National League All-Star team to their first win since 2012. MVP. MVP. Now, we are we are so happy for, for Elias. He has been one of the anchors of this team this year. And to have him go out at age 32 to his first All-Star game and then be the difference maker as he just demolished a home run to put the to put the National League All-Stars in the lead and it ended up being the game-winning home run. You know, he gets that he gets that trophy, he dedicates it to his mom. He really is just you know, there's so much to be proud of for him because this is a guy, and they they talked about it a lot during the All Star Game too. This is a guy who wasn't really, you know, a, a starting catcher or even a big name for for a large part of his career before he came to Colorado, mm-hmm. and now he's he's our guy. Yeah, and like he had that 2019 or like 2018 season with Pittsburgh, where he was the primary starting catcher, had a good year. And then kind of concussions and everything started to derail that eventually gets released. And then the Rockies pick him up on that minor league deal and carried him all through 2020. And he hardly played because we were rolling out Tony Walters and Drew Butera as the main catchers that whole season. And Diaz was just sort of there. And then he started to get more starts at the end of the season. And then it just took off from there where, no, as that prolific 2021 season struggles in 2022, but still has some good things going on. And then is just putting it all together here in 2023, which is awesome to see. And 
if for some reason you weren't aware of this and you're just barely learning now a week later that he was the MVP. So it's a two run Homer in the bottom or the top of the eighth against the Orioles closer, Felix Bautista, which pretty rare. He's that guy's been a stud this season for the Orioles and hits that home run. And I'll rattle off some of these interesting facts for you, Evan, where he becomes the 24th player to Homer in his first career all-star game at bat in MLB history. And the last time the National League hit a go-ahead home run in the eighth inning or later was in 1995 when Jeff Conan or Conan hit a solo homer in the eighth inning. This is also joins a list of go-ahead home runs in the all-star game trailing in the eighth inning or later. Joined Hank Blaylock in 2003, Mike Schmidt in 1981, Kuki Rojas in 1972, Gus Bell in 1954, and Ted Williams in 1941. He's also the the sixth catcher to ever win the All-Star MVP, joining Brian McCann, Sandy Alomar Jr., Mike Piazza, Terry Steinbach, and Gary Carter, who did it twice. Let's see, he's also... What is this? He's the fifth Rocky to ever homer in the All-Star game, joining Charlie Blackman, Trevor Story, Matt Holliday, and Todd Helton. So he put himself in the history books there, Evan. Not only is the first All-Star catcher, first Rockies MVP, joins that list of other stats, and there's been a bunch of other ones that have that have popped up since that game. But just a, just a cool moment for Elias Diaz in a season that has been awful on all accounts for the Rockies, Probably the best moment of the season when all is said and done. Probably the most active Rockies social media presence, uh, just in terms of fans on you know on on Twitter and on other platforms. The most active it's been probably all year mm-hmm. uh, was after that Elias Diaz home run, where it, it 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 really is in a season that is lost in a season that has been miserable and has been blow after blow after blow. It gives you something to be positive about something to be happy about. And a lot of people are going like, all right, well now Ilias's trade value is sky high. So let's make a move. And, you know, if we do get a good deal for, you know, at least he is at the trade deadline. Great. But at the same time, I am not entirely against Elias serving out the rest of his contract, which I believe is one more year after this, um, as we get some of the catching depth up to speed Uh because he is, you know, meaningful to the Rockies organization right now in in a bunch of different ways. And, you know, whatever happens, happens with if he gets traded, if he doesn't get traded, but he has been such a bright spot for this year where he's, he's one of the best catchers in the national league. He, I believe came in either third or fourth for that all-star voting for fan voting, which is better than any other Rocky player did. You know, Ryan McMahon didn't even crack the top 10 at his position and to have Elias then go out there, be the only Rockies representative, be the first Rockies catcher all-star ever in this, in this 30th anniversary season. And then to walk away with that MVP trophy, that's uh, that's something special right there. Yeah. So super happy for Elias Diaz who has been a was he a two-time player of the month for us this season thus far. So we, we're just happy for Diaz. Good for him. And, you know, 
we'll take what we got. Unfortunately, we had to sacrifice Antonio Senzatella and Kyle Freeland for us to get that. But hey. Uh, hey, Diaz has a strong arm. Let's put him on the mound and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> My high school catcher was sometimes he'd pitch like during the summer. And you could definitely tell he was a catcher because he'd still use that kind of pitcher motion that the that short slot to like short arm it and fire it to second base. That's how he'd pitch. <laughs> hey, I mean. Diaz has been working with with pitchers his entire career, and and one of the things that he's well known for is working really well with the with the pitching staff. So he's he's had to have picked up a couple pointers, right? Well, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> that'll do it here uh, for this first half. We'll go ahead and take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk the draft. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome back here to Affected by Altitude. Thanks for sticking with us through that break here on the audio version. And we also thank those that join us on the YouTube version. The few, the proud, the Affected by Altitude Marines. That works. Anyways, uh, Evan, the draft happened this past week. And the Rockies were, like everybody else, quite active. uh, Making their selections. And they had the ninth. Number nine overall pick in the first round uh, out of their 21 picks. Here's the interesting one, Evan. They took 14 pitchers in the draft out of their 21 picks and going in the first round for them. Number nine over, overall from Tennessee. Uh, one of the new volunteers, a right-handed pitcher, Chase Dolander, joining the Rockies as the ninth overall pick as of recording. I don't believe the Rockies have come to agreements with anybody yet on their draft picks. Uh, Maybe one or two, but I'm not quite sure quite yet on this Saturday that we're recording. But overall, Evan, let's start with their first round pick, Chase Dolander. Thoughts on him? You excited about him? Do you think it's a good pick? Or is it kind of like a eh? So if you listened, if you listened to our um, our monthly Pebble Report draft preview, uh, where Kenneth and I discussed the uh, the Rockies' first round pick, Dollander was really the guy where if he fell to us, you needed to take him. Um, Rhett Louder was was a big name um, that the Rockies were really high on. He got taken a couple picks before the Rockies were up, and somehow Dollander ended up falling to us at number nine and. You know, that that was a little unexpected, but it ended up really working out. So uh, Chase Dollander out of the University of Tennessee was SEC Pitcher of the Year in 2022 and, you know, struggled a little bit in in 2023, uh, had a bit of a higher ERA, got got hit around a little bit more, but still has crazy good strikeout stuff. And the the Rockies believe that it is a minor mechanical adjustment that he needs to get back to where he was at in 2022. And if, if that is the case, then this guy's ceiling is ace. Mm. Like he is, he is top of your pitching staff potential. And I really, really like this move. He is pretty much who I wanted. Um, There were, there were plenty of other interesting names in that first round, but it was really important with the first round pick, I think for the Rockies to go pitching and for Dollander to be available and have them take him. That is exactly what, uh, I think needed to happen. I'm really, really happy with this pick. Yeah, I, think I never take too much stock in the draft just because I don't pay attention to it as much. And it's always 
<laughs> a shot in the dark to see if guys pan out. But you know, it, looking at Dolander and, and I think a lot of their draft this year, pitching was the big theme. Like I mentioned, the 14 pitchers. And the, I think it's interesting this kind of steer the conversation. A lot of diversity in the types of pitchers that they selected were guys like Dolander who can you know, throw that high octane, can throw gas, you know, uh, the, kind of those country hardball type of pitchers like a John Gray type that can throw a little bit harder with the fastball and can have kind of those wipeout pitches rack up and racking up the strikeouts. There's a lot of guys in there you saw could rack up the strikeouts and keep their walk totals relatively normal or lower. And I think that was kind of an interesting thing for me seeing as the picks come out of just the diversity in the pitchers they selected, because uh, you look at their 30 year history. What are the kind of pitchers that the Rockies have, have usually sent out to the mound, Evan? Soft tossing sinker ballers. Oh, a Kyle Rocky special, you know, like Rhett Louder, which is yeah. why we we all thought that if he fell to them, and you know, he didn't, it was still entirely possible. That's why Kenneth and I thought that he was considered the safe choice for the Rockies because he fits into that prototypical Rockies pitcher mold where they've been trying to replicate Aaron Cook for the last decade and a half. Mm-hmm. Like it, either a combination of Aaron Cook or Jeff Francis from either side. <laughs> no, you're righty and you're lefty. And so, in over 30 years, that hasn't worked at all. <laughs> Not one bit. And so, I think that was kind of refreshing for a lot of us now that follow the Rockies and, and follow them closely. That they have this different, this diversity of pitchers. Where, yeah, there's some guys that you know, are clocking out at 92. A little bit more finesse control, but still racking up strikeouts with their control and everything. And then you've got guys that can work up in the zone, throw heat up there. So it's this nice diversity of pitchers. And maybe that's a slight indication of the Rockies are finally reassessing their pitching philosophy instead of a cookie cutter mold of throw ground balls down in the zone and get ground balls. Instead, they're going with, we're just going to take the best available pitchers and work with that so we can, get some diversity instead of let's throw five sinker ballers out there and see how it works. Absolutely. And, and you have, it really is a good mix of guys. You've got guys like Dollander who have uh, strikeout stuff and they can thrive at the top of the zone, much more modern pitchers, Um, different archetypes of guys with, with more unique fastballs where instead of, you know, sinkers, they can have some rising action. Um, Plenty of guys who have some really interesting breaking pitch stuff. Um, sliders, curveballs, change-ups, lots of, of diversity. And they also went with a lot of very athletic guys, not just in their in their pitchers, uh-huh. but for the position players that they picked, a lot of them are considered very strong overall athletes. Probably the most, um, the biggest example of that is our um, competitive balance B pick. Um, we drafted him as a catcher out of San Diego State, despite the fact that he didn't really play a lot of catcher in 2023, and that's Cole Carrig. Um, and one of the reasons he agreed to be drafted by us is because we said we'd give him a shot at catcher. But this guy is is crazy athletic, where he has played every position except for first base during his college career. He's even pitched decently, which is 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 crazy how how versatile he is. Like this is he he's a really interesting pick for me, but. 
And then you have guys like uh, Kyle Karos, the son of famed Rockies killer, uh, Eric Karos, who was a Dodger for a long, long time. Uh-huh. Uh, he's he's an incredible athlete as well. Like that, it, it I like this this draft. Like a lot of our picks probably aren't going to blow the doors off for anybody. And like you said, the draft is is a crapshoot. It takes years to find out if you truly got what you got what you thought you've got. And you know, the MLB draft is the hardest hardest draft I think in all of professional sports to get to the highest level of play in. Uh-huh. And I I really like uh, a lot of the guys that we picked. A uh, really strange thing is that a t- we picked like five guys all out of the state of Tennessee. Like so, basically a, a fourth of our draft are all Tennessee guys. You have uh, two guys from Tennessee. We have um, East Tennessee. We have Tennessee Tech, and we have uh, University of Tennessee Martin. So. <laughs> clearly, clearly putting a lot of scouting into into the state of Tennessee this year, which is is really interesting. Kind of makes me wonder uh, if Todd Helton had any say in that. Yeah, I wonder if the Rockies have any sort of connection to Tennessee <laughs> or the state of Colorado with also Peyton Manning. And the um, and the and of course the Rockies went with their. They usually pick up a guy from from local. Uh, from local schools, local high schools, or local colleges. This year it was their 19th round pick in uh, pitcher Cannon Handy, which is an amazing name uh, out of Colorado Mesa. Um, Skyler, I believe you said he's from Utah and then came to college over here at Mesa. Um, you know the Rockies love picking their picking local guys who can uh, who have experience playing at altitude. Uh, there were some murmurings that the Rockies might go for for Walker Martin uh, out of Eaton High School. But that ended up not being the case. Unfortunately, he goes to the the Giants. But overall, I think we had a really solid, really solid draft this year. And you know, fourteen pitchers, thirteen of which are all college pitchers, with the goal of them being ready sooner. Um, the only prep level or high school level pitcher we took was our eighteenth round pick in Yanzel Correa out of the International Baseball Academy in Puerto Rico. Um, that is considered high school or prep level versus college level. Uh, and he's the only one. Every other player we took was either college or Juco. Uh-huh. And the only Juco guy we took was our uh, our 20th round pick, uh, pitcher Troy Butler out of Herkimer uh, County Juco in New York. Uh, it's it's very clear to me that the Rockies had a uh, a mission in this draft. And that was college level pitching, a variety of pitching, and strong athletic talent. Yeah, it's kind of like the Angels a couple years ago when they did the draft perfect game of a pitcher in every single round, and it, it was the plan that the Rockies needed to do. And you know, there's a lot of analysts or people saying they they need to focus on hitters. You know, there's former manager or general manager Dan O'Dowd. No, for the draft, it's like, he seemed like he didn't agree with the Rockies picking, selecting pitchers. There's always other ways to get pitchers. And clearly, as evidenced by his time as a GM with all the the hits he had acquiring pitchers that weren't drafted uh, and everything. Yeah. And so and- it's it was there, kind of that plan because it looks like college pitchers build up that depth. And they said they 
can develop a little quicker, progress a little faster because they're a little bit more refined because they're a higher level of competition, especially from some of those D1 colleges. They're a little bit quicker path to the big leagues because they're a little bit more refined. Some of those schools are better at developing, pitching, refining those guys. And then the Rockies can take that and then try to continue to build off of that and refine it even a little bit more to where you know, they can help 2024 even or 2025. Oh. What, what, what really bugged me about O'Dad saying that is like clearly that's not the case. Like mm-hmm. even with this year where, you know, Bill Schmidt said last year his priority was getting pitching and then all he could come back with, with this year was, I mean, we tried that mm-hmm. it is hard to get pitching to come to Colorado and, you know, the Rockies, as much as we make fun of them for not being particularly good at the developing part, they, they do have to be a draft and develop team and prioritizing, excuse me. Prioritizing the college arms says a lot to me in that they have guys that they think they can get through the minor leagues faster in terms of getting that pitching depth better, especially in double A AA and triple A a little bit sooner. But it also says to me that they have a lot of confidence in their position prospects that they have in the system right now. Guys like Yankee Fernandez, Adele Amador, um, all, all sorts of guys. It tells me that they have a lot of confidence in, in those guys right now which I mm-hmm. think is is an interesting aspect of the draft that I think a lot of people are, aren't necessarily looking at is that the Rockies overall have a have a good farm system, a pretty good farm system. It's just very bottom-heavy right now. Mm-hmm. And we did pick some interesting position players. You know, we got a couple outfielders. We drafted three catchers um, to increase that catching depth in the system. But our very bottom-heavy farm system has a lot of really interesting guys in low and high A right now. And some of those guys are starting to trickle into, you know, double A. But we can just wait and see, you know, next year if they're in the same spot and maybe they go for more position players. But, you know, like we both said, the position of need was pitcher. And their goal was, what is the best pitcher available right now? Okay, we're going to take that guy. Mm. And I think... With adding all these different, like I said, the the diversity of pitchers that they've added, it gives them maybe an opportunity to get familiar with different kinds of pitchers, different styles of pitching and learning how to develop those or work with that, enhance those. So then they can live to what Dan O'Dad said. Maybe you can then draw in a different kind of free agent starting pitcher. You can trade for a different kind of guy you're comfortable with. Oh, in the the way he pitches, instead of always looking for the same kind of pitcher, you can kind of diversify and you know open up their avenues, so they can approach a free agent that you no, know, that's probably more hesitant to come to Colorado. They can go to him and say, "Hey, look, we we're this is how we're working with your type of pitcher, your style of pitching, and this is a success we've had. You know, working with this guy down in trip down in Double A." Look what he's doing. Look what you no know, Dolander's doing, or something like that. So it's hopefully it could, like we mentioned, just be a signal that the Rockies are changing their philosophy of pitching and types of pitchers, letting guys be themselves 
instead of trying to revert them and, and kind of squish them into the mold of this is how we pitch in Colorado. But let those guys thrive and figure it out because any type of pitcher, it's my firm belief that any type of pitcher can succeed at Coors Field. The team has to give them the tools to figure out how to be successful at that exactly. that level. And that's something that they haven't done in their 30 years of existence. But maybe now can now would be a perfect time to change course for the next 30 years. Because what they've done, what they've been doing hasn't worked. And so you know, they're, might as well try they, something new. They there still are a couple like mold guys that they picked. Like, yeah. you know, the Rockies like right now their top their their soft tossing lefties with interesting breaking pitches, you know, in the mold of Kyle Freeland, who's had success here. Um, guys like Sean Sullivan, um, our second pick of the of night one, uh, very similar to that, but he's got um he's but he's got some he's not exactly the same as Kyle. It's like, all right, well, we we picked a soft tossing lefty who's got some interesting breaking stuff, but he's not the same pitcher. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that, that we're looking at right here. But yeah. overall, really interesting draft. I'm really um really curious to see how just how this goes. Um, I, I really like, like I said before, the focus on strikeout guys, uh, both Dollander and even, uh, even Sean Sullivan had some very good strikeout rates. So I'm, I'm much happier with, with that than again, just continuing the mold of your soft tossing sinker baller. Who's going to try and get ground balls at Coors field. Yeah. So pretty excited. Um, if you had to say who was your absolute favorite pick in the draft you know honestly i'd probably go dollander um there are a couple guys who i think are really interesting um if if i can't pick dollander if you if i can't go with our, our first overall pick of the night um Cade denton the reliever out of oral roberts has the potential to be just an absolute stud reliever uh really like that pick uh, an underrated pick, I think, is Stu Fleslin the third out of University of Washington. I really like him as well. Um, there's a lot of guys I really like. An underrated defensive pick is catcher Darius Perry out of UCLA. Um, good arm, good good defensive acumen. Um, like that a lot. Uh-huh. Nice. How about uh, you? That's the hard part. Um <laughs> I really do like outside of Dolander and a lot of those pitchers. You know, like you mentioned before, Carrig, you know, he's got the potential. He wants to catch, and that's what he wanted to do with the combine. He went to the draft combine and he wanted to catch. And the rookie's like, "Yeah, well, we'll give him. We'll sure. look at him. Give him some opportunities to catch." But if that doesn't work out, like a lot of those guys, the potential where he could pretty much play anywhere else, and. That's really intriguing. A lot of those athletic guys just seeing where some of those position players stick that they've drafted. And which... this is the second time they've done something like that. Um, Willie McIver, one of the reasons that he came to Colorado with the draft is that they said that they'd give him an opportunity to catch, which is his favorite position. But, you know, uh, University of Washington, where he played college ball at, had been using him in a manner very similar to Cole Carrick, where, you know, playing infield, playing some outfield, more, more utility wise. Um, so that is, that's really interesting to me. Should be interesting. Uh, also Rockies are active in undrafted market. A uh, couple of intriguing picks there. You can always go check them out. 
Uh, but just overall, interesting stuff happening with that draft. And hey, the Rockies since 2019, I'll say they've their draft picks have been better and like intriguing. You know, he's had Michael Tolia, Zach Veen, Benny Montgomery, Montgomery, and then Gabriel Hughes. Those last four drafts, those are four pretty good players with Jordan, some bright futures. Jordan Beck, uh, Jordan yeah. Beck, in his first full year of professional ball, is already up in Hartford. He was yeah. called up to Hartford um, to start the second half. Mm-hmm. And like Drew Romo's been having, he's been turning over into a solid year in Double A. He's figuring some things out. So there's a lot of promise with the position players they've been taking the last couple of years. And there's already a ton of positional talent. Now they turn to the pitching and hopefully we'll see those guys pan out. But yeah, overall pretty satisfied with the draft. No, however it is, I don't usually never know what to think with the draft. I'm like, Oh, seems fine. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're going to take anybody that's like (laughs) awful. They're like not drafting Jose Urania now, oh, but they're taking guys that have promise in our elite college talent and everything. Uh, and it was nice to see. I, I think they've learned with pitching wise, high school probably isn't your best option to draft pitchers. College, I think, is a much better pick, just in my own personal opinion, because when you played in high school and you know the level, it's pretty easy to dominate in high school, whereas college. It's much better talent, much better talent in uh, in college. So hopefully it pans out. We'll see. Uh, but best of luck to them. Hopefully they all sign, get started with their careers. I think the Rockies are supposed to have like a pitching camp this weekend that we're recording. They're going to have like a little mini pitching camp with a ton of those uh, new draftees down in uh, that, uh, the ones that pass their physicals. Yeah, the, the goal for this weekend, from what I'm aware, is for a lot of teams even, is to start getting people signed. Um, we saw the first the first trickles of, of people getting signed really um, Thursday and Friday. And this weekend that we're recording, um, I think the goal for the Rockies is to get the pitchers down to that little mini camp, start getting people passing their physicals, start getting people signed, and then go from there. Probably by by Monday when this episode releases, uh, we will have updated our signings tracker and uh, start seeing some of these Rockies picks get, get inked to their contracts. Yeah. Should be exciting. So good luck to all those, all those young men starting their baseball careers and uh, best of luck to them. And we hope to see them in purple somewhat sooner rather than later and wish them all health and success because we're tired of people having UCL tears (laughs) and having their arms fall off. But anyways, that'll do it here for our draft coverage. Uh, We'll take another quick break here. When we come back, it's time for our new mailbag segment, sent from my iPad. Don't go anywhere. (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome back here to our final segment. Uh, This is an idea that we've had of just the idea to call this segment for the mailbag, sent from my iPad, obviously, the best joke that comes from the Rockies of Dick Monfort usually responding to people's emails with the tagline sent from my iPad. Uh, so you can always find, send us questions. We'll, we have a, still have a Google form up there, but we may put up another one over on our Twitter at Rocky MTN rooftop. You can always send us a question there. Uh, 
heck, we might put our email out there and people could even email us questions. But you can always send us your questions over on Twitter. Uh, you can always message myself or Evan, fill up that Google form. We'll always take your questions for future mailbags. We'll always call for them to love and, and talk about what you want us to talk about and everything. So, you ready, Evan? Let's do it. Okay, let me pull up my question here. Appreciate the... We'll just have a couple of questions here today that we picked out. The first one, we alluded to this earlier. Uh, Sheridan Latrobe from Twitter asks, What's going on with Ryan Rollison? And we alluded to it earlier, but Evan, things have not been going well for Ryan Rollison once again in 2023. They really haven't. So, so Ryan Rollison came back um, about a month or so ago, made just a couple starts, and then left with a trainer. And now he is back on the uh, 60-day IL as of uh, as of Friday, where he was one of the moves to clear up 40-man space for um, for Tommy Doyle to get selected from AAA Albuquerque. And congratulations to Tommy Doyle, by the way. Super, super well-deserved call-up after two really tough years with injuries that he struggled with. But for Ryan Rawlson, it's that shoulder again. And he has had such bad luck where he had shoulder surgery last year. He had his appendicitis last year. He's just barely been on the mound over the last two seasons now. And I'm at the point where I wonder if he ever makes it because of these injuries. And it's not for lack of talent. He's an incredibly talented pitcher, but the fact that he's barely been able to pitch over the last multiple seasons because of just constantly recurring injuries and that shoulder injury is a, is a big concern. Uh-huh. And, you know, the worst case scenario for Ryan Rollison is that he ends up retiring from baseball completely because of these injuries. And I, I very much hope that doesn't happen, but it is at this point, I think a possibility. The main thing for me right now is that I have, I feel like I have seen enough to say his future of being a major league baseball pitcher is in doubt Uh where you cannot confidently say that he will ever make the Rockies roster anymore. I think, you know, two years ago you could have said that, but I think now you can't. And it's, it really is a bummer because I love I love Rollison. I think he was a great draft pick and he was a great prospect. And you never could have predicted these injuries, but that's just where we're at right at with him right now. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it's those things of this is kind of what we've seen with Peter Lambert, where the Rockies just can't keep banking on that guy. They can't just keep sitting on their hands waiting for like, oh, we have these guys. We just got to wait for them to get healthy so they can join. That ship has sailed, and. If Rollison can get healthy and come back eventually and finally break through and be healthy enough to finally break through, no, that's great, but you can't bank all your hopes on them. I think we see that in the draft. You bring up all these pitchers because you need to build that depth because guys like Ryan Rollison, we had such high hopes for him and still hope that he can figure things out and just stay healthy or something, but yeah, like I said, that's in doubt of if he ever pitches in a Rockies uniform. Maybe he becomes a, they finally release him, he becomes a free agent, signs on somewhere else, and, and figures his career out there. That'd be great for him. 
But for the Rockies, I think you just got to let that ship sail. Yeah, because uh, it, it's just not going to happen. And there's a couple of pitchers like that. You know, we had we had Peter Lambert where for the longest time the Rockies were banking on him coming back and being what he was before his injuries. Uh, you've got guys like Helcris Olivares uh, and now Ryan Rollison where you can't just wait and hope that they're going to get healthy and get back here and be the pitcher that you expected them to be. And it's it's sad, and I hate saying it, but it, it's like you said, with, with how the Rockies drafted this year, I think they realize that as well. Yeah, so it's, um, it's unfortunate for Rollison, and I'll wish him the best of luck and getting healthy and everything, and uh, hopefully he can just get that bionic arm or shoulder or something. I don't think technology is that far up yet. Yeah, he can also learn to pitch. He can learn to pitch with his other arm, or he could convert to a position player. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Uh, but that's what's going on with Ryan Rollison. Uh, so, thank you for that question. Next one here. This one's from Steve. Says, if this team were to embrace a full rebuild, who would you have as off limits for trade purposes? Uh, that's a super easy. It's Tovar. Mm-hmm. To- Ezekiel Tovar is absolutely off limits. Uh, I think to a lesser extent, uh, Nolan Jones. Outside of that, nobody. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a trick question because the Rockies will never embrace a full rebuild. <laughs> but in that belief where you don't, I've never liked the idea of full rebuild because that means a lot of years of sucking, and I don't like that idea. But retooling and doing it right is possible because there's tons of teams that still retool in sort of these rebuilds and swap around a lot of guys but are still really successful in a way. And there's all the ways to go around a rebuild. But for the Rockies, yeah, I think off-limits absolutely is... Know a lot of those prospects, those top top prospects that you've got that they're banking on, like a Veen, Romo, Hughes, those kind of guys. Uh, and then, but strictly on the Bigley roster, it seems like it'd mostly be uh, be Tovar because he's young. This is his first season. He's that staple at shortstop for the future, figuring out doing very well. And then, you know, guys that are sort of un, off the block, I'll say. Not totally off limits, but are off the block at the moment would be like the Nolan Jones type of guys. Uh, maybe a Brenton Doyle. But for the most part, that's that's where we're at. Otherwise, pitching, pitching staff, everybody's up. If you are over the age of 26, you are not off limits, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there's a couple guys who... You know, veteran-wise, you might want to keep around. Um, you know, your guys like Ryan McMahon or maybe Kyle Freeland. But even then, if you're embracing a complete and total teardown, you listen to offers, and if you get an offer, you 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 bite on that offer. Yeah. And the uh, the other one would be like for me, Justin Lawrence mm-hmm. at the moment, uh, but it could totally see that he yeah. at some point maybe. I w- I would agree with that. Where you keep Justin Lawrence, especially. Um, for his potential to really anchor that bullpen and the fact he he's still fairly young. Um, you know, he's, I believe 27 this year, but he is, he's really, really good. But then if you do get an offer that really blows you away, 
mm-hmm. you still take it. Yeah. Like there's there's got to be unless it's your your Ezekiel Tovars, there's got to be no such thing as off limits. And it hurts really bad to see a complete and total teardown. It's miserable. But we've seen teams have success doing that complete and total teardown. Mm-hmm. It's like the Cincinnati Reds, where they were what, in the playoffs in like 2020, kind of didn't they? And then they kind of had that drop off in 2021. Started and then they sold off everybody, sold off a ton of people. Oh, into 2022 as well, sold off a ton of people, and then this year a quick turnaround bring up all these prospects uh, with some veterans sprinkled in there or lower lower tier of a free agent they bring in having a really good year sitting atop the National League Central. So it's there's a way you can have that quick tear down in terms of just opening up money and getting rid of veterans that you don't need so your youngsters can come up and play. Mariners had a a pretty successful go of that as well. And it doesn't mean you have to get rid of everybody that that you know and love. The Reds kept Joey Votto. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like the Rockies could do the same sort of thing where that's where that retooling comes into play of rebuilds. Like when I think of rebuild, I think a lot of people it's selling off everybody and you're just sucking for years upon years like the Orioles. (laughs) and like the Astros for years and years. So you can just build up stock draft picks, but you can't really do that anymore with the new CBA and how to try and battle against tanking. You can't really do that anymore. So the best way is try to just build up as best roster as you can. And if it's younger, Oh, you can still find success, but yeah. Rebuilding. We do it together. Uh, let's see here. Next uh, one. You have anything else to add there? Uh, I was going to say I can read the next one if you want. Uh, I was going to go here at the top here. Uh, if you were the Rockies GM, would you move on from Bud Black? And if so, would you be well, who would be your choice to replace him? That's from Brian. So, short answer: yes. Um, I think. Bud Black gets a lot of criticism, both fair and unfair. Um, you get a lot of people who who are really calling for his head right now um, because, you know, those glory days of 27, 2018, they're gone. And it's been a bad team for a couple of years now. But it's not entirely all Buddy's fault. He definitely has some faults as a manager. Um, his really overly strong loyalty to getting his veterans playing time over over rookies and his um i would i would say this is is somewhat of a fault is over prioritizing of defense for young guys mm-hmm. where we saw this with with Alaris Montero where you know his his poor defense really made him persona non grata but i think bud is still a decent manager i just don't think right now he is the right manager for this team i think you need to go younger i think you need a guy who's more in touch with the with the modern game of baseball and ideally um you throw in a guy who is potentially bilingual as well who can connect better with his non-english speaking players the obvious answer to me right now is of who you give it a shot to it's vinnie castilla 
Uh-huh. If if you have to stick within the organization, I think the number one choice would be seeing how Vinny does, and and maybe give him a give him a short leash because of how you know painful the last couple of years, especially this year, has been. But I like Vinny for a couple reasons. One is his attitude; he's always extremely positive, um, and he gets he gets excited. Versus you know Bud Black, he gets some slack some fly for this a little more stoic um he'll get mad sometimes you'll see him get mad but it's not quite the same um Vinny also his playing days are a little bit more closer to now than a guy like buddies and um the fact that Vinny is bilingual and be able to speak you know without an interpreter to to these younger spanish-speaking only players uh, i think would be really helpful um Mm -hmm. If if you go if you stay inside the organization, then Vinny is I think the best choice for for replacing Bud Black. If you don't go with Vinny, I think the guy that they are grooming to potentially be that successor eventually is Warren Schaefer, uh, the current third base coach. Um, Schaefer is great. I think he is also very much deserving of an opportunity, but I would give it to Vinny first just because uh, why else has he been sitting in the dugout? all these years at this point, I think. Uh, and he, and he's done, he's done managing before with team Mexico and he's been, been a coach in a variety of different ways. Um, so that's who I'd go with. Otherwise you need to go with somebody outside of the organization who matches that criteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's more, I wouldn't ch- change him until maybe after the season, obviously yeah. the Rockies are going to ride him through the end of the season and probably through the 2024 season. Cause he signed to a contract there, which unless Bud Black decides to retire, he's coming back for next season. Uh, Cause the Rockies desires to have him around for that next, that next wave. But unfortunately he's kind of shown in a way of he's too heavily preferred towards veterans. And as opposed to, you know, I, ideally, I'd just like to see somebody a little younger <laughs> be our manager to, to to keep up with the times of the game and how the game is now. Oh, uh, and you no, know, Bud Black, he can stick with the organization, maybe in some other capacity, join the front office in some form. But you no, know, I feel like somebody like Warren Schaefer, with the wave of players that's coming up and his history with with the with the team and, and just working in the minors, and probably knows a ton of the the names and the guys and their potential, you know, being down there in AAA and then kind of working his way up through the system after he was done playing in the minor league system with the Rockies that he stuck around and, you know, as hitting coach and managers and everything like that. So I think he would be the perfect candidate to work with that young crew because he's familiar with them. He's been among them uh, in, in their shoes in a way and been among them in the Rockies organization so I feel like he would be kind of that top, that top of the line. No, this is the guy that we want, but Hey, Vinny would be a good choice. He'd bring that energy and like just knowledge of the game to the role. And he, nobody hates Vinny. He'd bring that good positivity. And I think he'd probably bring that energy that, you know, I love Bud Black, but he really is just old man energy. <laughs> it's just, he's, he's a little bit of a curmudgeon. Like it just, you know, uh, 
Yeah, you that's know, baseball. that's baseball. That so he's really low energy, <laughs> so, well, which, which just... isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I yeah. think for a team that's that's going to keep getting younger and keep retooling, I just I don't think he is the he, he is the right manager for that. I think he was a great choice for manager for that mostly veteran team in its playoff push in 2017 and 2018. And I think he could still be a good manager for a team that has completed their rebuild or has a strong veteran core that is competing right now. But the Mm -hmm. Rockies are not in a contention window. They are in a rebuilding window. They're going to keep getting younger. They're going to keep losing people. And you've got to get younger. And you've got to get a guy who's more connected with the modern game. Another guy who I think would be an interesting option is the manager of the AA Hartford Yard Goats, Chris D'Onofrio. Yeah, Chris Norfield wouldn't be too bad. Or uh, maybe uh, one Todd Hilton. But he has a pretty cushy gig right now. So He really does. Um, if, you know, you know what I would do is if you really want to go uh, more modern game, more high energy. Sterling Munford. Vinny Castilla is manager, and then I would like to see uh, guys like Carlos Gonzalez and Gerardo Parra get offered positions on that coaching staff. Be a party in that dugout. Yeah. Hey, we lost twenty to fifteen. We lost twenty to five, but man, it was a good time in that dugout. <laughs> I think they would be interesting coaches. Car- Cargo and Parra, especially, are the guys who they they were always willing to take their lumps, but they never you know, let it be a downer. And I think that's, that's so important, especially for younger guys of you're going to take, you're going to take your lumps. Some things are not always going to be great, but we're still playing a game and we can still be high energy. We can still have some fun doing what we do playing this incredible sport. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's the kind of energy I want. That's the kind of energy that Vinny brings as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like, have them fill the same role Vinny does now of just special assistants. No, they can come, come and go to games as they please and just kind of hang out in the dugout and help mentor guys, share things, but they're not exactly, they're not, no, like I'm not, I'm not saying make Para like the, the first base coach or the hitting coach or something, but some sort of advisory or special assistant role, I think would be great. Um, and there's, a, I think, a lot of guys in Rockies history who that would be really good for. Um, you know, uh, Aaron Cook, when he was in the broadcast booth a couple weeks ago, um, the way that he talks about pitching is 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 really great as well. Like the Rockies have a lot of guys that if if they have to stay within the organization, they have a lot of guys that they could tap into to really help modernize their clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of that former players. So, could be, but yeah. So, I guess it's like between Warren Schaefer and Vinny Castilla, that would be the answer to the to the question. And you know, after the season, maybe have sit down with Bud Black, and be like buddy, we're gonna go in a different direction. You know, we're not gonna fire you per se, but we strongly recommend that you retire. And if you retire, you get a cushy gig in the front office. Yeah. Like you can join like the, the overseeing the pitching department. Yeah. Hang out with, hang out with Steve Foster and and Clint Hurdle. Yeah. Something like that. 
nothing says success for a team than making that front office even older. (laughs) (laughs) They they had that photo of the, of the Rockies war room. And I don't know how, you know, accurate it is because there were, there were other laptops and stuff set up and there were other like unattended cups. So maybe it might've just been an unfortunate timing for a photo, but it's just three guys sitting in the Rockies draft room. They're all like 60 plus, Mm-hmm. Um, who was it? Was it you who said like these are all guys who would need help setting up a Zoom call? No, there's somebody else that said that. <laughs> oh goodness! One last question here uh, from some guy named Dustin. He probably sounds like an unpaid intern that talks about every Rocky ever with me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he says or he asks from Twitter. Would it help pitching development or development in general if the Rockies had their t- uh, AAA team out of the PCL, so out of Albuquerque? Guys rake there, but pitching gets pummeled all the time in Albuquerque. Pretty interesting question here from my brother. Uh, kind of interesting, and, and I've thought about this too. With you know, in the PCL, there's there's kind of those two ways of thinking of, well, they have it in Albuquerque one because it's at altitude, so pitchers can still try to develop there at altitude. And no, and then the, the PCL in general is just really hitter-friendly and everything. But from what I understand, Evan, the MLB wanted AAA teams at least relatively close to the big league team to just cut down on that travel time. Mm-hmm. and Make for quicker call-ups. So I think that's kind of the main reason to why it's still in Albuquerque, why it's going to stay in Albuquerque unless they could put them in like Salt Lake city and everything or yeah. Why they were in Colorado Springs too for the longest time. So like that, that's probably why it's going to stay that way. But even just thinking, would it help if it, they weren't in the PCL, if they weren't in Albuquerque? I think if, if it were any team other than the Rockies, I would say yes. Because for every other team in MLB, you're not pitching at altitude that often. You're not mm-hmm. dealing with the the crazy you know, offensive effects that the thinner air and the drier air has on the baseball. But because it's the Colorado Rockies, and you know, a lot of these guys are coming in from elsewhere. I think it's still important that our triple A team is at altitude like it is. And if it's not in Albuquerque, I always would go for them moving it back to Colorado Springs where Uh the altitude is even closer to what you're getting at Coors Field. But the main reason I say that is you're going to have to learn the effects of that at some point. And a lot of the uh, other Rockies affiliates are in much more pitcher-friendly environments. So you've got you've got Spokane in the Pacific Northwest, much more pitcher-friendly than hitter-friendly. Um, same for same for the Hartford Yard Goats. Those are much more pitcher-friendly locations. Eventually, you're going to need to know what it's like to play regularly in a hitter-friendly environment. Uh-huh. And again, it's like I said earlier. Sometimes you got to take your lumps. And I I think it is a useful environment to, even if you're getting pummeled, to know this is the kind of thing that can happen in this sort of environment. Mm 
And I think it can be good mentally because you can go, you can learn to not let it get to you if you're like, all right, well, that's just how things are. And you can also learn to adjust more, um, mm-hmm. learn how to pitch specifically at lower altitude versus higher altitude. And it already is. We always tell people at the end of the, in the grand scheme of things to not really bother with ERA and stuff like that for the isotopes because it's not necessarily indicative of how you are actually pitching. It's more based on the environment. And, and I think it would be the same, same for that regardless of you're, you're going up there and unless you're like really, really bad, like 10 plus ERA or something like that, then you kind of need to just ignore that and look at the other other stuff what are the strikeout rates like what does their pitch movement look like um things like fip and xfip stuff like that over over your more basic stuff like era because your era is going to be bloated uh-huh and in just looking at the pacific coast league it's pretty reminiscent of the teams the rockies face out there in the west of they're playing in new mexico which Elevation in Albuquerque, altitude, pretty much the same as Denver at 53, a little over 5,300 altitude in elevation. So they're pretty much playing at Coors Field there in, in Albuquerque, playing Texas, Oklahoma, they play in Texas multiple places, uh, playing Nevada, a couple of places in California, Salt Lake City, and Tacoma, Washington. So they're playing a lot in kind of a lot of dry desert areas, just dry, dry areas. And the ball's going to fly in those drier climates. So I think that's what makes it so hitter friendly. But I think Albuquerque is that kind of that good training ground of it's really got to figure out pitching there. And that comes on the Rockies of they really need to pour in those development resources of, well, if they can dominate in AAA Albuquerque, then Colorado is going to be, a little bit easier challenge to face and hey it, and hitting wise it, it can be difficult because they're not dealing with the same Coors effect mm-hmm. Coors field effect because they are still in generally the same geographical type of area of ballparks but it's just a good confidence booster still I think if you guys look at Nolan Jones it's the level of coaching and and work process down in AAA in Albuquerque, like Jordan Pacheco and, and company is, I think, doing a really good job with guys down there. And that's helping him. And look at Nolan Jones and the success he's had in the big leagues this season and continue to just evolve and are really starting to tap into that potential that he had when he was drafted by the Guardians or by Cleveland. And so it, it probably could benefit in some ways but I think Albuquerque's good. It's just the mindset of the Rockies that needs to change. Not so much the location, yeah, but the philosophy and, and process of developing guys and working there in Albuquerque. I agree. Yeah. Good question. All righty. Well, we appreciate all those questions that runs the episode a little long, but that's okay. We appreciate y'all uh, sending in your questions, letting us talk about them. And as always, you can send us more of them. Over on Twitter, uh, you can reach out to us over there on Twitter, Instagram. We're not on threads yet. Uh, the, comment Facebook. Se- the comment section on, on Purple Row. Yeah, comment section. Uh, maybe we can set up other 
other forms. We could set up a voicemail box. That'd be cool. No, uh, absolutely. <laughs> I already hate listening to my regular voicemails. Yeah. So, but we appreciate all that. Uh, Evan, where can the folks find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Evan underscore Lang two seven. That's also my handle on threads. I'm giving that a try. I'm also on blue sky, which is Evan Lang 27.bsky.social. Uh, I'm also on Mastodon uh, at Evan underscore Lang two seven dot MSTDN dot social. I think it is, man, they make that confusing. Uh, and you can always hit me up on, uh, on the website, purple row. Uh, where I, I try to do those Thursday rock piles. Um, and then you can always, also always find us on the official Rocky Mountain Rooftop Twitter. That's at Rocky Mountain Rooftop, at R-O-C-K-Y-M-T-N Rooftop. We would love to hear from you on any of those places. Um, Skylar, how about you? You can find me over on Twitter at Sideline underscore Crowd. That's the same over on Threads and I don't want to try to keep building on Twitter clones, so I'm just on those two. Uh, and I'm not giving you all the other ones, like my Discord and all that stuff. <laughs> those are personal, Evan. Uh, but, and also find me over on Purple Row, writing those Wednesday rock piles, or filling in on Thursday rock piles every once in a while. Also catch us with every Rocky ever. Hoping to come back with that, with another new episode this coming week that you're hearing this. So on Wednesday, hopefully you can tune into that as we talk about every Rocky ever get back on track and everything. And as always reach out to us on social media, what, what you'd like us to see. And we want to try and continue to build this thing out. Uh, hopefully you can try and bring in players, uh, whoever we can media people start interviewing. So it's not just Evan and I, <laughs> don't have to listen to us all the time somebody else can put up with our with our shenanigans yeah yeah <laughs> oh well we appreciate you putting up with our shenanigans indeed yes your shenanigans but that'll do it here for effective by altitude we always appreciate you tuning in and sharing if you're listening to us on apple Podcasts or spotify remember leave us a review hopefully it's five stars uh, I'll, but I'll take four and a half. No less than four. Please. Please. <laughs> We're begging <laughs> you. I already have enough self doubt, no lack of confidence. Anyways, <laughs> that'll do it here for this week's episode. As always, I'm Skylar. That's Evan. We'll be here next time here on Affected by Altitude. Farewell. Nice on. Nice on. Nice on. The game is on. And the game is nice and the nice is on. <laughs> <laughs>